Moby.co. This is the flagship pod, a weekly podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, what is it, the last day of Q3? Uh, we have gotten through what has been an absolutely wild one as we gear up for the true, true ride that Q4 will be. October is going to be pretty wild, folks, and to get us through our outlook for Q4 and to understand what's been going on in this very roller coaster week in the market, as always, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, thanks so much for joining us, dude. What's good on your end? Not much. Uh, excited to chat through everything today. Um, like always, <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a lot going on, so I'm excited to get through it. Exactly. I mean, it's it's pandemonium right now. I mean, where do we even start? I think the most important thread that we've seen throughout Q3 is reaching its crescendo here on the last day of Q3, and that is the dollar just absolutely hulking out. The OSD, the DXY is just up massively compared to previous years, like we're back at 1990s, even sometimes 1980s levels of dollar strength. Uh, the UK market is basically imploding over this. Uh, the UK, the conservative UK government is trying everything, but um, raising rates, basically, uh, tax cuts, mayhem. The the Chinese central bank is dumping dollars and you know, holding onto yuan's as much as possible, trying to sort of like you know weaken the yuan compared to the dollar. How do you how do you how, how do we even play this, Justin? Like it looks like the market is just largely flipping out over our main currency just being way too strong right now. Yeah. So for people who are in the U.S., uh, which is a majority of our audience, you would think a stronger dollar would be good because it counteracts the effects in, of inflation and. To a certain extent, I mean, it, it can help out. Having said that, it's primarily not a good thing. So if you think about like a stronger US dollar versus other currencies, if you want to go travel to other places, yeah, that's that's great. You go to Europe, you go to most other countries, your, your dollar is going stronger. So it's great for some consumers. But for corporate earnings, for the market, for the economy, it, it actually kind of has the opposite effect. So think about a company like Nike, for example. They have a large operation overseas, both in Europe um, and other parts of the globe. And so when they take those sales and revenue and then translate them back into U.S. dollars, because that's where they're reporting, they're actually losing a lot on that foreign translation currency adjustment. Um, so their revenue overseas, which for Nike, for whatever companies in question, is going to look a lot worse than it actually is because of this. So if you think about corporate earnings, you think about corporate revenue, not only is there you know, a slowdown in the economy across the world, now there's an additional slowdown due to this currency. So it kind of makes a bad situation significantly worse. Um, and then anything else that's denominated to foreign currency, again, when it gets translated back on shore, it's going to be worth a lot less. So for companies that are primarily operating in the US, less of a concern. And so we definitely have a few stocks on the site uh, and, and through our app that we've talked about that are good plays. But for a lot of companies that have a lot of operations overseas, this is really going to hurt and is going to show up over the next few months, uh, if not quarters, in a lot of their earnings, which which is going to have a lot of adverse effects. And it gets even wilder because a lot of that's going to be directly priced in, right, Justin, in terms of we're going to watch earnings come out starting next week and, you know, really kicking off in the next two to three weeks as earnings season kicks in. We get all these big tech companies who should have weathered inflation just fine, but they're going to be seen in terms of a strong dollar now, right? So it's one of those things where it's a perfect storm of inflation and a strong dollar as the U.S. Fed was the sort of like biggest mover in terms of trying to fight inflation. Is this something that's going to make earnings season hurt even worse? Or is that kind of like overthinking the macro effect on earnings season? I mean, to your point, a lot of it should be relatively priced in. Like it's 
it's somewhat of an easy thing to project. So for most people listening, I mean, they're not going to this extent, but for analysts at a lot of the top funds and banks, they can just see, okay, this is how much this company is doing on average uh, from these countries. And here's what the expected like foreign translation would be. And then they can say, this is how much or up or down it's going to hurt their overall earnings. So, I mean, long story short, it should be relatively priced in at this point. But again, if things start shocking to the downside and, and get worse, it's it's always going to have adverse effects up front. So something we really need to be aware of uh, when we start thinking about a lot of countries or sorry, companies that have uh, operations overseas. Right. And it's one of those things where the core CPI is going to be the main indicator coming out in just about just under two weeks. And so that's what we're going to be mainly watching audience to see, you know, how inflation is doing. We did get the Fed's preferred inflation report today. Before I get to that, though, Justin, uh, this market has just been pulled in a thousand directions this week. We had a full roller coaster moment from when from Tuesday, Wednesday into Thursday, just a perfect sine wave of ga losses, gains and losses again. And those losses seem to be compounding right now uh, with uh, inflation, basically air quotes priced in. I'm sorry I'm saying that so much today. It's just kind of the word of the day for me. Why is the market still downturning on this? Are we just really, really freaked out over a too hawkish Fed? Or is it the sort of international situation that is causing the, the markets to really just go complete chaos mode right now? Yeah, I mean, it's we're just not out of the clear yet. So if you think about this week in particular, A, they're still digesting like prior inflation news. We're seeing again today more negative inflation news come out. Rates are continuing to rise like the real estate market is slowing down even further. We're seeing more escalation in terms of the geopolitical landscape in Eastern Europe with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And it's just like you look across the environment, whether it's currencies, whether it's relationships with other countries, whether it's our economy, whether it's inflation, interest rates, I mean, you name it, it's just they're all not trending in the right direction. Um, we would have thought things would got under control, but again, they're still trending downwards. Companies now are thinking this recession will last even longer. They're doing more firings instead of hirings. Um, and again, that light at the end of the tunnel, which a lot of investors are looking for, is not that yet there. And until it's there, things are going to have a tough time reversing because it's just so forward looking. So, I mean, we'll have to see what the inflation numbers look like for the CPI, which will be the next report that comes out. But with the Fed's preferred numbers coming out today, just showing even more inflation, I mean, anticipation is, is that it won't be as you know good as well. And audience, to give you that number, that is the Fed's core inflation measurement, and that rose 4.9% from a year ago. And the, and in August, it rose 0.6% month over month. So they were hoping for more of like a 0.3 situation. Justin, can you just give, you've talked about this before, way back in the day when we thought inflation was going to peak in Q2. It kind of looked like core inflation was the indicator that, you know, that was an accurate assessment. And now it's showing that inflation may be a little bit spicier than anticipated as opposed to, you know, a lot better. Can you take us through what core inflation is and why the Fed prefers it real fast? And is this something the market's going to freak out about or is it all cpi all day when the market is concerned oh sorry i was on mute for a second <laughs> um yeah so it's it's a good question so like core inflation versus you know the the measure of cpi i mean at the end of the day they both um are really important and the economy is going to digest them in a similar way although to your point, the Fed has a, a preferred number, but basically core inflation does not um, include food and energy prices. And right now, although energy prices have been coming down significantly, um, it is was definitely a concern for a while, given oil prices and, and all the other energy prices we're seeing. So when you factor out energy prices, you factor out food, 
The Fed is looking at that and saying, what are the real goods in the economy that are increasing or decreasing on a month-over-month basis? Um, CPI, on the other side, pretty much tracks all of that together, which can be inflated uh, based off energy prices, which is you know a very volatile situation. So long story short, they should trend in a similar direction. Having said that, core inflation, which is the Fed's preferred metric, is going to ultimately be a little bit more accurate. At the end of the day, you know, it's it's similar to Bitcoin and and the uh, the stock market. They're both going to trend in a similar direction. They're not going to deviate too much. So when we see core inflation today from the Fed come out um, and saying that it was you know a little bit hotter than they expected, we would expect CPI then to follow a similar trend. You know, at the end of the day, CPI does factor in. Uh, like I said, energy prices, and they have been falling significantly. So it could cool it down more than core inflation. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is this is a tough game to play trying to predict inflation. Just for, for the record, what most analysts, what we're doing is you can pre- predict what stocks and what certain investments will do. But understanding economics, I mean, even the best economists in the world, it is very much a guess. There's so much data sources. It's even hard to say if those data sources are relatively accurate. We can use everything we have at hand, but trying to predict where interest rate policy and inflation will go, I mean, it's it's close to impossible. So point being, it should it should track it. That's our best guess, but we are much less confident in that than I would say we would be in, you know, where certain stocks would be going relative to the to those numbers. And that makes a lot of sense too. And audience, if you're hunting for just like a teeny tiny little bit of hopium in there, just keep in mind that while core inflation has been following a specific trend, we've also seen um, gas prices in August trend down a little bit faster than they did in July, which gives us a little bit of hope for the CPI. But one of those things, they will always trend together. And core, since supply side inflation was so intense, mainly with energy prices, what we'll see potentially with this next CPI is a, a more decrease in energy prices. But since now core inflation is creeping back up as those energy prices have finally cascaded down and those those costs are not getting passed on to secondary buyers and therefore being passed on to the consumer, we may see those trends kind of converge a little bit, but energy prices are going down a lot faster than core inflation is going up. So fingers crossed that it shakes out that way in the CPI. But again, no one can really tell. Everyone expected a lot less spicy inflation report here in September. And so October is going to be, you know, another really critical one to really sort of cement us into this, you know, extended bear market period. You did mention crypto, though, Justin, and this week's been really interesting for the crypto market. Bitcoin's been on a roller coaster similarly, but it seems to be finally decoupling a little bit from other commodities, right? Can you kind of take me through Bitcoin prices just hovering below 20K right now? It's in the, you know, high 19s, 19850 right now after doing its own little roller coaster game this week can you kind of take me through how the crypto market's responding to this as well is crypto finally fully diverging or is this kind of like a little head fake as market makers are just trying to squeeze some profit before the real bear times hit yeah it's a good question right now um if you track the the price of bitcoin relative to the s&p it definitely followed a little bit of a spike um, when we saw the market spike earlier this week followed by the crash but to your point it seems to be deviating ever so slightly over the last few days with it clearing that 20k number um over the short term and even over the longer run this is not of a enough of a deviation for us to say that this is going to be pronounced or continue. Um, we fully, fully anticipate for Bitcoin to ultimately continue its relationship with the equity market, which is up and down, as we've seen over the first nine months of this year. Uh, so long story short, view this as a very, very short term factor. We do not anticipate that this will be pronounced. Then ultimately, we see Bitcoin, again, sliding right back where the S&P is. Um, so we think this run is very, very short lived.
And I think that's the key and critical thing, audience. You have to understand that the key, key metric here is volatility. It's just pandemonium times, right? So if you are trying to find a reason to, you know, get back into more active crypto trading, uh, this is definitely not it. This is more of a blip than anything. We're going to be keep we're going to keep watching it, obviously. But I would honestly keep this in mind as, you know, more an indication that you need to be in buy and hold season, right? You know, where staking is really popular right now. Get all your ETH, get all your Polygon into various exchanges, get staking revenue as as well as you, you know, the speculative rise and fall of your stocks and just kind of turtle up and accumulate during this time period as we watch these very interesting price swings. Because again, uh, the, the Bitcoin will not continue this deviation if the S&P goes down any further on bad CPI such bad earnings news coming out this month. It's going to be a very pivotal month for the rest of the market. Of course, Justin, it's not all bad news. And uh, this is it. This is the time where I get to uh, do a quick brag. I'm doing my victory lap now. I never anticipated I'd be doing it this soon. But a week and uh, literally two weeks ago, I came to you with medical trial, you know, information from Eli Lilly that suggested that, you know, maybe Alzheimer's medications aren't as bad as the market is treating them right now, and that Biogen has a new Alzheimer's medication coming out, Lacananab, uh, and that they're going to have critical trial news that was going to measure the actual effectiveness of that drug as opposed to, you know, whether or not it treats a bogus protein or not. Trial came out on Tuesday, Justin. Uh, Biogen is up 40% just about this week because turns out uh, we fucking rocked it. Sorry for swearing, don't care. Um, some really, really positive news in terms of actual effectiveness for treating Alzheimer's coming out of Biogen. So Biogen, a stock that has been absolutely pummeled this year. Uh, really awesome short-term gamble. Really excited about long-term prospects for Biogen as well. But it's one of those things where there's always money to be made, especially if you're watching sort of like how industry swings. And we're just really happy that we picked this one up. Justin, thank you so much for, you know, giving me the confidence just to sort of like run with it. Uh, this is a huge moment on the markets and in, in the pharma market specifically. Eli Lilly's also popping on the news because it's just, you know, it's it's positive for everyone, really. Um, when you look at this, though, is this going to be something that's going to be short lived? Is this one of those things where it's a short term swing trade, then you get out? Or is it, you know, a positive indication moving forward for like the whole pharma industry as opposed to the rest of the market? No, I mean, it's really promising. And we, not to get too deep in the weeds here, because, you know, <laughs> listening to biotech reports can put most people to sleep. But the the underlying kind of bump up to your point was due to this Alzheimer's drug data that came out uh, based on data before that was potentially fraudulent in terms of this drug actually helping or slow down the onset of uh, of Alzheimer's. And so when the report came out recently from the FDA, this is, again, nothing is necessarily like a long-term solution uh alzheimer's is over but there was initial evidence that this definitely slows it down um stock popped almost 40 percent over the course of a few days and is up again over 40 percent in the last month um when we if you zoom out even further over the last year even though it's down prior it's up 10 percent this year this is a a really good short-term catalyst for biogen to have a potentially really like kind of record-breaking drug if this ends up going even further um a few years ago they were doing over 14 billion in revenue this has the ability or this drug in particular has the ability to like two to three x that revenue count alone granted that's going to take place over a very long time horizon um but this is this is definitely not an overreaction this is we want to see more data we're going to want to see how this progresses but this is definitely not a a short-term thing hey sell the news uh, and walk away. This is this is really exciting stuff here, and, and don't do not want to understate how how pitiful pivotal of a moment this is, not only for the stock but just healthcare in general. 
Exactly. And it all comes down to the data the FDA gathered. And that's where we got it. We got our confidence from. We knew this was a potentially good gamble, air quotes gamble, because the FDA was running the bus in this study and they're going to be very, very strongly looking at all Alzheimer's medications right now because of that potential that potential fraud, which was in a uh, government funded study from the UK, I believe, literally 20 minutes ago that kind of guided all of Alzheimer's research. And the fact that this has actual clinical effects, not just getting rid of the thing that was potentially fraudulent, but like people's cognitive decline actually slow people some people's cognition actually improved and this is across a huge trial sample of over 1500 people really exciting news in terms of biogen's whole strategy which is they pick one sector of pharma to just completely tackle and take over uh, they rose to prominence and got to that 14 billion revenue mark off of multiple sclerosis and other neurogen neurodegenerative diseases can never say that fast sorry folks um, and they were using that success now that their uh, MS medications are getting hit by generic pressure to move into Alzheimer's. Their first Alzheimer's medication basically, no, it hasn't been pulled, but it is, they've killed all support for it because it just didn't really work. When you're a smart researcher, though, when you're a smart pharmaceutical company, you put, you know, five or six bullets in the gun, so to speak. So their big one was this lecanonab drug that came out, has really, really strong and interesting efficacy, along with another drug from Eli Lilly, which is the reason Eli Lilly is popping off this week, too, completely unrelated to what's going to make it, you know, a strong buy for the next three to four years, which is their Diabetes 2 line. So regardless, huge moment for pharma, really excited to see lots of positive mo motion there. And again, Alzheimer's isn't cured, but the fact that we're finding new and, and better ways to treat Alzheimer's, you know, it gives everybody a lot of hope as we better understand this disease. We need to make sure we also understand that we really still do not understand Alzheimer's as a disease. We have the same understanding of Alzheimer's that people back in the 1400s had of like heart disease, right? Like we are very much at the beginning of this process. The human brain is the most complicated object in the known universe. So just understand Alzheimer's is not cured, but we have finally some positive treatment paths for this disease. And it's awesome that Biogen gets to, um, you know, keep existing as a company on top of this. I don't want to, you know, stay too much in pharma land because I know it's literally only interesting to me, Justin. So I guess as we approach sort of the back half here, uh, you know, we did promise our audience last week we would get back into the geopolitical situation. Justin, um, I'm going to just do a hard pivot just to make sure we don't run out of time. So positive market news out of the way. Let's get back to the negative. Um, lots of wild stuff happening over in Europe uh, today. Russia officially annexed four little states that um, it has been invading in eastern Ukraine and has basically been funding a proxy war there for eight years, full on invasion for the past eight months. Um, there's potentially I mean, literally, the Nord Stream pipeline got kind of blown up this week, uh, you know, Signs pointed to being Russia. Russia accuses NATO. Uh, some random people in France blame bioterrorists. Who cares? Uh, how, how How's this shaking out in terms of how the market's going to react to it? Is this a volatility increaser, decreaser? Like, is this one of those things where maybe we overblew its effect on inflation? How are you feeling about the situation in Eastern Europe right now as things kind of get a little bit more spicy? Yeah, so right now, I mean... You, <laughs> it's a good question because you add all this volatility in the markets, like outside of the geopolitical, um, you just add inflation, high interest rates, corporate earnings, all these things being affected. And then on top of that, you throw in a war in Eastern Europe and it just, you think it's going away, you think it's getting better. And then Russia comes out, is annex, annexing part of the Ukraine to your point, like there's an explosion and they, everyone's pointing fingers at each other. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible step in the wrong direction. Um, this is going to end up having, 
I think, massive, massive effects and downstream effects for how the market ultimately digests this. And when you think about the geopolitical outside of any direct military uh, strikes, like if there was a nuclear attack or anything direct from, from Russia, this is stuff that plays out over years. So today... Uh, President Biden came out and announced that there's going to be more sanctions on Russia. But by the time that, you know, is felt by Russia, by the time they respond, by the time it, they put out their own sanctions, flows in. I mean, this is like months and months and years in the making and how companies play this. So this is much more of a longer term effect. Right now, it's a little too early to see how this will play out. But in general, this is very much a part of our onshoring theme. If you haven't heard us talk about this before, or if you have at a very high level, you know, fat, rewind 50 years ago, let's call it. And a lot of countries like the U.S. started outsourcing uh, pretty much everything to other countries. You can get labor parts uh, in other parts of the world, in China and parts of Asia that were significantly cheaper. So companies took that opportunity and made everything streamlined. They were able to cut costs and, and do a lot of things that for years worked. And right now, what we're seeing in Russia, what we're seeing in the rest of the world is that globalization has a lot of adverse effects and risks that no one ever really anticipated up till now. So Russia was one of the largest exporters of energy in the world, especially for Europe. And with what's going on in all these sanctions, Russia shut off a lot of their supply of energy to, to Europe, which outside of the cost of it ultimately has a massive effect on the national security of a country. So what a lot of countries and companies over the last few years realized, especially with the supply chain shortages due to COVID, is that maybe globalization isn't all what it was cracked up to be. There's definitely a lot of benefits, but when push comes to shove, your supply chain gets messed up, your, you know, your defense systems get messed up. So over the next five to 10 years, we fundamentally think the way companies operate is going to massively, massively change. This could be the one of the biggest themes over the next few years. Um, companies like Tesla, for example, are going to bring a lot of their operations onshore so they don't have to worry about supply chain issues and shortages. Uh, mining for certain materials um, that are very crucial to the safety of our nation also will be brought onshore. This will ultimately, in the short term, have a lot more inflationary effects because things are more expensive onshore, but over the long run will be very sustainable. And so we have to look at that. That is going to be a huge theme, and a lot of our investments over the next few years are going to play into that massively, this onshoring effect as part of the war um, and downstream effects from what's going on in Russia right now. Exactly. And I think the only other thing to really lock in here is just the same idea that this is going to be something that's going to be good for some businesses, bad for others. And it's just one of those things where, you know, it's going to affect everything from banking to defense as, you know, what onshoring is going to do worldwide is sort of begin a bunch of currency competition as well. And you're kind of seeing it play out already as the rest of the world is trying to decide, oh, wow, the U.S. is the global reserve currency kind of hurts right now. Justin, do you see any competition for the U.S. dollar coming down the pipe over the next 10 years? Or is that wild? overblowing the world, the over the onshoring theme? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, right now, like, if you look back over the last decade, like digital currencies were supposed to be that reserve currency that couldn't be inflated, and that people would put their money in. Obviously, with the, the volatility of it, we've seen that really shake out over the short run. Over the long run, there's no reason that still can't happen. Um, to have something that is like immutable, that can be transferred over borders, that isn't affected by government policy, definitely adds value, especially in a time now where we're seeing currencies, you know, jump up and down all over the place. 
Is it going to play out over the next few years? Probably not. Is it going to play out over the next decade? I think it's definitely still in play. But if we're looking at shorter term effects, the US dollar for the foreseeable future is going to be that reserve currency, that safe place and where everyone starts depositing more and more money into. So while it's a good thing and it makes sense at the at the same time, it, it definitely impacts uh, how we think about you know inflation and, and trade and everything along with it that we talked about it on the show earlier. And that's something really important to keep in mind, audience. Well, we, we always examine these kind of giant, slow forces on a day-by-day basis, and you just can't react and game things out day-by-day-by-day. Day day. You have to sort of watch the trends, you know, react to them emotionally in the short term. But when you're actually thinking about your real investments, take that longer view, and that's how you're going to get a much more sane and much more measured reaction slash strategy for... Uh, going with a lot of these macro trends. So when you're thinking about that audience, don't overreact. The market certainly isn't overreacting to it. Yes, we're going to see a lot of companies try to combat a strong dollar and also just, you know, generally trying to strengthen their currencies, which is the thing to do when you have such a strong inflationary environment, but don't overreact to it. So I guess that kind of gets us into the the final moments here, Justin. Just one last thing, Justin, we're going to be talking a lot about our Q4 outlook next week as next week is actually in Q4, but I'm just going to give you one piece of information that just came across the wire. Uh, Nike shares, Justin, they're down 12% Today because they said that they are overstocked and inventory up 44%. Uh, how do you think retail is going to do uh, in this environment, Justin? Is this going to be like blacker than Black Friday, or are we going to see you know, retail save the world once again? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of it play out in real time. Um, to your point, Nike just fell off cliff today. It's down over 11% as of uh, 1 p.m. Eastern uh, on Friday, September 30th. Um, but even like zooming out even further, I mean, this year alone, they're, they're down almost 50%. So this is definitely a part of what we'll call like a retail apocalypse. Um, you know, people aren't spending as interest rates go up, they're spending less and less and less, which is hurting in, a, in addition to the foreign currency adjustments is hurting companies like Nike. So it's really interesting you bring them up. So this is all, I mean, there's so many different things that play into this. Their foreign sales are hurting the interest rates are rising, so people are spending less, which is exactly what the Fed is trying to do. So, I mean, long story short, there, there's all these different factors that are ultimately affecting stocks like Nike. Is this going to continue? A hundred percent. So we need to be really like cognizant of retail-based stocks right now. So if you look at, for example, like on our website or on our app, like we don't, we're not really, we haven't in a long time recommended any retail stocks. It's just not really in play. But the retail stocks that are in play that actually do well in environments like this are defensive names. So you wouldn't think it, but like beauty and cosmetics companies do really well. So we covered a company called Elf Beauty earlier this week. They're up almost 37% this year alone. Um, so they are a consumer name that you think would be slowed down. But over the last 50 years, we've seen when things get defensive, people are buying more beauty products. And then they're also buying more alcohol products. So Constellation Brand is another company that we've covered, I mean, several times now over the last few years. Ultra defensive name. They're one of the highest performers uh, relative to the S&P over the last year. People, I mean, that one makes a lot more sense conceptually. People aren't going out as much. They're staying home. Uh, people definitely are a little bit depressed given what's going on in the world. And so sales of cannabis, sales of alcohol are, are up significantly. So in general, consumer-based stocks are not going to do well in an environment like this, but there are kind of certain subsectors within the overall consumer sector that can perform well. But I mean, long story short, 
yeah, what's going on with Nike, what's going on with retail, other, other retail companies. I mean, this is, this is kind of obvious. This should like people don't have the money to spend anymore. Things are getting more expensive. So ultimately they these companies are going to take a massive haircut. And that's just kind of the name of the game. It's finding your way to buy and hold your way through this audience. If you were buying Nike, say in 2020, that was the right move. And now it's just now it's not time to sell, so to speak. We just kind of hold your way through it. Your time horizon has to be long. You have to be patient. And that's how we're going to win this overall. There's always something to buy during any kind of downturn, any kind of moment. And that will still make it, you know, a better buy for the long term than anything else. And that's the perspective we have. You have to be long term here as you think about this. Regardless, Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Mobi.co. Thank you so much for your perspective here today, man. We did kind of go over, but we, you know, we had a lot to cover today, dude. Any final thoughts from you before I go ahead and read the credits? As always, just awesome conversation, dude. Just, you know, always glad to be here. No, I think, yeah, exactly your point. Definitely happy to chat all through this stuff. I think right now, more than ever, we're in this kind of gray area where it's hard to point at one single thing and say this or will or won't happen due to what's going on. Right now, more so than ever, you have a lot of macro factors that it's hard to to really point your finger at a company and say they're going to do one thing because there's so many outside effects that are out of their control. So to paint a little bit more like better of a description, like look at a company like Tesla, for them to be able to deliver their batteries historically, it's pretty projectable. It's not that hard. But today, where they get a lot of their parts and materials from overseas, there are supply chain shortages still. Then we're dealing with shipping routes being affected given what's going on in Eastern Europe. On top of that, there's a massive hurricane going on in the Southeast that's just disrupting things even more. Then there's a supply shortage. Then people are buying less. I mean, there's just so many things that they can't control for. So right now, more so than ever, it's everything is very macro-driven. Um, over the, the next decade, I mean, those those things will play out. But in the short term, as you're thinking about investing, you can't think about companies in isolation anymore. You need to think about how they're interacting with the world because that is ultimately what will impact their stock in the short term. Precisely. So just, you know, kind of stay the course. Do not get distracted by all this volatility. No one knows where the market's going to be going in the next two to three months, but some big moves are coming in either direction. Uh, either way, Justin Kramer, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for your conversation. Audience, thank you so much for your questions. If you have any other questions for us, you can hit us up at hello at mobi.co or join us on our Discord audience for listening to the recorded version of this podcast. Anything else, audience, you can hit us up over at our Instagram and slash or our TikTok as we expand over there. Regardless, audience, thank you so much for hanging out with us here. If you want to, you know, see what we have on offer for our M members as well, you can hit us up over at mobi.co slash go. We'd love to see, we'd love to show you our actual research and show you more of our long-term thinking there. Either way, folks, thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.